Again? Is that better? Okay, all right. So um, first of all, I, I want to give honor to, um, to, the, to the angel over this house, Pastor Brian. He's not here today, so let's give it up for him and his, pre- his absence, and maybe he'll see Pastor Brian. If you watch this later, we want to thank you for all the work you've done here and your commitment to this church. Um, I also want to give a shout out to the elders and deacons of the church. want to go ahead and give them a round of applause. Thank you guys for all that you do here. And again, media guys, praise and worship, you guys, we wouldn't be able to do this without you, so let's give it up. We appreciate you, all that you do. All right. Um, and for those of you who are online who are not here, uh, we want to say we appreciate you joining us, and um, thank you for your support. Um, so about me, for those of you who don't know. So Leonard Small, uh, married 24 years spent 20 years in the military, so you can say I have commitment issues. Um, I, I stick, I have, I think sticking to things, you know, has always been hard for me, but things are important I kind of commit to, so I, th- I just thank God for that. Um, after I got out the military, I became a teacher, and I can tell you that is, um, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not even going to sit here and lie to you and be like, oh man, I did it for the kids. No, I did it for my kids. I wanted to spend more time with my kids. I wanted to be off when they were off, and you can call that selfish, but it is what it is. That's why I did it. <laughs> so, um, and I feel like my family's better off for it. I have uh, some PTSD from dealing with some of the most horrific people on the planet, middle schoolers. Y'all agree? <laughs> Worse than criminals, all right? So yeah, middle schoolers, they're terrible. And, um, but you know what, over, that love, that time of a love-hate relationship with kids, I've actually learned to love them. And um, I, I, I do look back fondly at those memories because, um, you know, it's, it made me a better person. And I look at them as my baby. So, um, but would I do it again? No, not so much. So, one thing that I've learned as a teacher, and I want to kind of apply it here today, Okay, it's been like, this. like, I haven't been in the pulpit in like three years, so you got to bear with me. I'm, I'm working out the kinks, so if I, if I mess up, y'all just, you know, just be like, if I need to move on, y'all just tell me to move on. I'm okay, you know, you're not going to throw me off. So one thing I did, this is what I learned, and I, and I applied any time I, I teach. Um, I, I know, like, our minds, if, if, if everybody had, like, a screen with what's going on in your mind right now, they won't be on the same channel. Like, just because you're looking at me right now doesn't mean, like, you're actively <laughs> listening to me. And so I'm just going to go around the room, like, just, you know, I feel like the best way to kind of get people juices flowing mentally is, like, just give feedback. You know, kids, kids and I feel like adults, too, you, you listen when your peers start talking and people around you. So um, I'm just going to open the floor. What, what's going on in the world right now? Anything. Throw it at me. You can say it. Shooting that happened here in Jacksonville. I did not plan for my sermon. What it it had nothing to to do with that, but it will address that. So yeah, the shoot, shooting. Anything else going on in the world? Big storms are coming. Chaos. Whole environment, whether that's politics, right? Whatever. Whatever. Race. There's a shootings. Not just the shooting that happened here in Jacksonville, but just stuff in general. And if we're honest, we live in a crazy world, right? All right? Now, it's crazy out there in this world, but how do we 
try to exist in the midst of this craziness, whether that's with racism or politics or violence. There was a, a research study done by LifeWay, and the numbers are off the charts when it comes to fear and anxiety amongst Christians. There, there's an overall sense of doom and gloom in the direction of the country and the state of the church. And sometimes when we embrace the fear, when we are keenly hypersensitive to the violence and the, and the despair that's going on, even in our climate, you know, whether you believe in climate change or not, I think the biggest, biggest, like, um, gospel, it, you know, like the gospel speaks to even creation, not just people being out of whack, but creation itself being unbalanced and unhinged because of the sin of the first Adam. If y'all don't mind, turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. I'm going to start at verse 3. If you got to say amen. If you ain't got to say hold up. All right, that's okay. Matthew 24, verse 3 through 14. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, will, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these, this is just the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Key in on this verse right here. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Then, and then, the end will come. Let us pray. Dear Lord, there is uh, storms a-brewing, not just in the Gulf, but just in general. All of creation is in a collision course. Where we stand on that side of when the end comes, only time will tell. So, Lord, we just pray that in this message, they don't just hear the words of some 46-year-old guy who, um, you know, may have some great things to say. We have wasted our time if we don't hear from you. Through the power of your spirit, through the truths found in these scriptures, may we draw nearer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, 
when I read this verse and, and I really think about what this text is saying, I don't, I don't get the idea that Jesus is like, things are going to be great. I, I don't get the sense that, you know, you, you, you know like um, Jesus is going to come back and be like, guys, I really love what you did to the place. You know, he's like, oh, wow, I, I, I really like the way you guys cleaned it up. He's not coming back to a world that we've, like, you, you ever seen, you know, y'all watch HDTV, right? You know how they, these renovation shows, you walk in, and like, oh, my, this is so great. Like, he's going to just look at our craftsmanship and be like, wow, man, that's some good work. I love, I love how y'all fixed the laws, and I love how you ele- elected the right dude. Y'all did great. No. Jesus comes back not to move into a fixer upper that has been cleaned up or a new construction. He comes back to uh, earth in shambles. He comes back because we need him to. And much like trying to sweep sand off the beach, if we believe that there's something we can do to turn this ship around, I'm going to say you're embarking on a fool's errand. If you think that there's something you can do that's on a macro level going to change this world, I'm, I'm sorry. That's not what he said is going to happen. Jesus is coming back because we need him to. I don't get mad about the sky being blue. I don't get mad about water being wet. Don't get mad about the Jags not being able to win games. Some things are what they are. Yeah, no, it is what it is. <laughs> when, hopefully that changes this season. <laughs> and we most definitely can't be frustrated, angry, and in despair at the world doing what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to be crazy. Anybody like good food, right? Anybody who likes good food, right? What, what, can y'all just eat a bowl of just rice? Can you just, no, right? That's crazy. Can you just eat a bowl of like just mashed potatoes? Like you need contrast. Art, contrast, light and dark. Crunchy and, and, and smooth and salty and sweet. Like, we love those combinations, right? The world is doing what the world is supposed to do. The bigger question is, are we? Are we in contrast to the world? But, much like what Jesus is saying in the text, if we're doing what the world is doing, because the world is like, wow, there's a lot of evil and violence. Let's hunker down and get into our little boxes and hide from the, 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 the evilness in the world. Let me isolate myself or shame and shake our finger at what's going on in society. Or do we exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, which one of those is, is, is pointed out in this text. Our ability to love even in the midst of the evilness that exists in our current society, can we, the church, stand in stark contrast to a world in decline? Amen. Thank you. 
are you, much like Jesus is saying, are we enduring? Are we enduring the hatred of what it means to be a Christian? Are we enduring whatever it is that comes against us? But in the midst of enduring so many things of our natural human reaction of fear, anxiety, desperation, fill in the blank. And he wants us instead in the midst of that to still exhibit love. So, I believe the only way we can overcome our love turning cold in these chaotic times is by having a kingdom perspective that leads to God-glorifying action. I'm going to say it one more time. Having a kingdom perspective that leads to God-glorifying action. Now, this is in stark contrast to complaining, worrying, living fear, uh, trying to isolate ourselves. God doesn't want us to get into our little spiritual bunker and hide. He wants us to break, come out of our shells, out of these little meetings that we have, and engage the world with weapons that are not carnal, as the scripture says. Our weapons, sword of spirit, you know, shield of faith, like all those things, like we are to engage this world for the purposes of God's glory and not our fear. So the title of my message today is Having a Kingdom Perspective in Chaotic Times. And given what happened on um, yesterday with the shooting, I got two kids in college. And the guy started his, nothing but the grace of God. This guy started his, was getting ready to start his rampage on a, on a college campus uh, historically black college, um, Edward Waters, and as a parent of college kids, I can't even imagine, like, the idea of somebody just coming on campus and just start shooting. Like, that is mind-blowing. But to, to, to be so, like I said, that, 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 it, I feel like this message is kind of right on time because it, it, for me, I'm like, man, I don't want to, my kids are being schooled, or they need to carry weapons. Like, you just start to get this worry and fear, and you just want to isolate yourself. But how do you have that? How do, you know, I'm so even me, I'm challenging myself. How do I continue to keep this kingdom perspective, even though there seems to be chaos all around me? <clears throat> so, instead of me looking at myself, let's look at Jesus. Turn to Luke chapter 13. Luke 13, 1 through 5. Let's see how Jesus deals with current events. So in Luke 13, 1 through 5, <coughs> it reads as such. And again, oh, I'm sorry, I'll read from the uh, English Standard Version. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans who, who Pilate, blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, this is Jesus speaking, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise 
perish. So in the story, you get the, you know, uh, there's differing accounts about what they're specifically talking about. Um, some biblical scholars say they're talking about Pilate, who was trying to build aqueducts, and he wanted a church to put in on it. Uh, there are some who, talk, who think this has something to do with actually mingling blood with sacrifices, so mingling pagan uh, animals that were sacrificed pagans, mingled with the blood that was meant to be on the altar in the temple, and they were pretty much saying, like, why are these bad things happening to what we see good people, like people that aren't, are they, are they really just evil and this is their judgment? And then Jesus goes to, well, what about this natural occurring event? Like, not just people, but things that just happen in the world. Like, it was an accident. People died. You, you don't get the sense that Jesus is directly dealing with the issue of evil, but I want you to kind of pull that thought back. He's actually dealing with the issue with evil. He's dealing with evil head on. God, much like you, wants this world to turn from wickedness to righteousness, okay? What we think needs to happen, God, go fix that stuff. But we fool ourselves because the source of evil at the heart of evil is the human heart. Jesus doesn't say, let's band together and take down Pilate or, hey, let's go fix this problem in the world. Jesus goes directly to the source of the sin that's in the world. And it ain't stuff out there. It begins with us. He wants repentance. I know that's heavy. Everybody's kind of like looking down. (laughs) Um, Because we, we really... We, we feel like we have the answers. We know, like, hey, if, if this were to happen, if we were to vote a certain way or if we'd, uh, you know, go and be, become a part of this non-government, non-profit, and we'd join this volunteer group, and we'd go over here and picket this and picket that, all good things, God permits us to vote. He permits us to do whatever we want to do. It's great. But we should not let good things become God things. The solutions to how we embark on fixing the evil in the world should be a result of our Christian faith, not a replacement for our faith. So this is my first point. Kingdom perspectives requires a shift from focusing on external evil to the internal through repentance. Jesus' answer to the evil in the world that needs to be fixed is not what we do externally, but it begins with the work internally. All right. So, repentance, cute word, may or may not do it, but I, I used to teach a class called the uh, Gospel-Centered Life, and I'm going to give you the quick cliff note version because I don't want to talk too long. So, um, the, qu- the, the quick version is, and, and this is the thing that keeps us from repenting. I'm going to get to it here in a second, so bear with me. So in the gospel-centered life, we talk about you, you lived your life unsaved, and at some point you hear the gospel, you become 
sensitive to, you become aware of God's holiness, and you get a, uh, sensitive to your sinfulness, and the thing that bridges the gap between your sinfulness and God's holiness is the cross. All right? Now, as you continue on your faith journey, your awareness of God's holiness and your sensitivity to your own sin, like you become more aware and more sensitive to your own sin, grows. The more scripture you read, the more time you spend trips around the sun, you start to realize, like, yeah, man, God is way holier than I thought he was, and I'm way sinful than I thought I was. And for some of you, you're like, I felt more saved day one. Right? The gospel was good on day one. But somewhere along this journey where God becomes holy and you become more aware of your own sin, that the cross doesn't grow with it. All right? And so these gaps that exist between God's holiness and our sinfulness, we, we call that when you try to, try to meet God's holy standard, we try to perform. And when we become, we, we become more aware of our own sin, but the cross doesn't fill the gap, we, we start to pretend. So I want to talk about pretending and performing. This is the thing that keeps us from repentance. What performing does, it says that, well, Jesus died for my sin. God is so holy. There's no way God can forgive me. So instead of me trusting in Jesus, let me do more, pray more. Let me, let me fast more. Like, let me, let me tip the scales. And God is saying, even in our righteous acts, for the wrong reasons, are sinful. Then there's performing, I mean pretending. Not making a political statement, I think is in the news, so let's just, I'm just using this as an example. Everybody's innocent until proven guilty, but just something I want y'all to, I want to I wanna show you how we work, all right? 6'3", 215 pounds. All right, anybody know what I'm talking about? All right, that was the self-reported rate, rate of uh, Donald Trump. He's going to, like I said, innocent until proven guilty. But when he self-reported his weight at 6'3", 215 pounds, that gave me pause because I know what that kind of looks like, right? But it, it kind of reveals, it, it's not, this is not a knock on him. This is kind of reveals, like, the human condition. And it's this. When we are faced with inconvenient truths, we tend to create alternative facts. That's all of us. We all 6'3", 215. We all can do that. We all sometimes struggle with, with things being put at us, these facts being brought to us, and then we, we create in our minds alternative truths that, that help us to cope. We're all just like him. So instead of pretending we're not bad people, we create, oh, you know, I only did that because, or I only lied because, I only cheated on that statement, or I filled out that form, I only took that money because, and we pretend, pretend, pretend. What both pretending and performing does is robs the gospel of its goodness. It robs the gospel of his goodness. And I apologize. I probably offended her. I really didn't mean to. I really didn't mean to. It robs the gospel of its goodness. 
We don't have to pretend or perform to earn God's grace. When Jesus said it was finished, it was finished. You have to gospelize yourself. God being gospelized just doesn't happen on day one when you get saved. It's every day. You were worse sinner day one, right? Why was why is Jesus's blood and sacrifice good enough then when you were way off, worse off, but it can't work now? So if Repentance was needed day one. Repentance is needed throughout our Christian walk. Jesus is our Lord and Savior, but pretending performance says, I don't need you. I got this. Jesus' work. I can work harder. I can work better. Jesus covering my sins, um, you know, that sin wasn't that bad. No, they both were. They both are bad. In closing, in this section of where I'm at my, ver- my, my, my sermon, you should not be, repentance should not be marked by our ability to perform our way to meet God's righteous standard or, re- or pretending like our sin is no big deal. Repentance should be rooted in the gospel. There's nothing we can do to earn God's forgiveness. Jesus did that. There's no way I can experience God's love by pretending I don't need it. And that gospelization needs to take place in my heart every day. Not every day, but every day. The cross is the only thing that bridges the gap between God's holiness and my sinfulness. Um. From, so, from that place of being saved by Christ through faith should lead into God's glorifying work. When we repent and believe in the gospel, God can then do his work within us. Let me encourage you to partner with God, the Holy Spirit, to let that work happen in you. So, kingdom perspective begins with the heart work, this internal change. But let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 through 21. All right, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. Key in on this verse right here, underline it, commit it to memory. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on, the behalf of, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, though that in him we may, might become the righteousness of God. All right. I'm going to step on some toes. If you can't say amen, say out.
this is a pretty verse. Oh, ambassador, oh, that's cute, right? But our current political and church culture climate has defaced this verse. And this is why. We have been called to be ambassadors to America and not from America. I'm going to say that one more time. We have been called to be ambassadors to, not from. It's really easy to think of ourselves as being on, you know, on home turf, that we live in a Christian country and we got Christian values and, you know, we need to maintain this, this Christian nation. We are ambassadors from God's kingdom to this worldly kingdom. All right? Let me break it down to you like this. I did 20 years in the Navy. And there are things that are associated with sailors, right? Cuss like a sailor, drink like a sailor, cheat on your wife. When you get in the home port, act a, when you get, out, get off the ship, act a fool, right? There are things that are in my identity, which is true. I'm still, a, I was still a sailor. There are things that in my identity as a sailor, in my identity as a Christian, as my identity as a sailor deviates from what it means to be a Christian, I have to decide to deviate back. I have to decide to let that thing do what it does without me because that can't be tied to my identity in Christ. And we live in a time where there are so many fill-in-the-blank things that we tie to our faith, and we just need to be like, I I'll let that go that way. Whether that's what it means for me to be a man or whether that, what it means for me to be black, I'm going to encourage all of you. We have to put our identity first and primarily in Jesus and his finished work and everything else that deviates from it, we let it go. We let it go. And those may be good things, but they may not be a God thing. Point number two, kingdom perspective requires us to value our identity in Christ over all other identities. When we, when we have these other identities and things that we cling on and allow to hitch onto our faith, if we love them enough, they may draw us away. We think things are bad now, all right? I will tell you from the inception of the church, things have been bad. If, if you were a Christian back in first century church, you were persecuted, thrown to the lions, burned at the stake. You'd be like, man, Jesus, come back soon because this is bad. If you lived during the times of the Crusades where Muslims were coming to Christian countries and killing off you know, Christian colonies and, and conquering them in Christian countries, like, you'd be like, wow, Bad times, Christ can return. Uh, even in our own country, if I were a slave during the time of the slave trade, I would think to myself, things are so wicked and evil that Christ has to return. 
And one of those pivotal events during that time of slavery was the Underground Railroad. Railroad, Sorry, kind of like talking too fast, excuse me. The Underground Railroad. It's not an actual railroad, number one. <laughs> you laughed. You, you listened to history, didn't you? Good job. The Underground Railroad, for those of you who don't know about our country's history, it was a collection of um, uh, abolitionists who uh, invited slaves who were escaping the slavery of the South. They would have places to stop along the journey, places where they can eat, get water, uh, rest. Uh, there were no exit, and you know there was no how. There was no I-95 running from the South up to the North <laughs> with rest stops and hotels. I can't even imagine. I hate riding in a car up 95. I can't imagine walking 95, all right? But they walked the distance of an I-95 stopping along the way, and the father of the Underground Railroad, his name is William Steele. So what this guy did is, as people were coming up north, uh, one of the stops was like Philadelphia, and there he would keep track of the slaves and where you come from and where you're going because there wasn't great records kept on slaves outside of you own somebody. And if you were owned some by somebody, that has to be the most demeaning thing in the world, regardless of what our illustrious governor says, that it's, it was not, there's nothing beneficial about being a carpenter and being owned by someone. No. Or, or your family being bought and sold and separated, dealing with that trauma. I don't care if you know how the dog gonna do brain surgery, doesn't matter. So, <coughs> Um, one, of the, one of the key figures of the Underground Railroad, her name was uh, Harriet Tubman, and she says that, um, in one of her quotes, she says that, uh, I've been on the railroad for eight years, um, I've been uh, conducting on the railroad for eight years, and I've never lost a passenger, and, you know, always kept on schedule. I will tell you that there, we serve the greater Harriet Tubman, the one who saw a sinner like me, slave to sin, left the splendor of heaven to lead me from my captivity to my true salvation. I'm on that track. I, I, I've left master, but I ain't reached home yet. We ain't reached home yet. And so as we serve the greater Harriet Tubman in Christ Jesus, the one who really delivers us from our slavery and really delivers us from the true evils of this world, even he needs help. Turn with me with Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. And I'll be wrapping up here shortly. Jesus doing all this ministry work, chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion because they were helpless, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers to this harvest. I talked about this last week in, a, in the Bible study. This isn't some random dude saying we need help. This is God made flesh 
with the fullness of the power of God in him, saying that there's work to be done. We got work. And much like the Underground Railroad, this work from taking people from being lost and, 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 and being bound by their masters in the horrific conditions of slavery to freedom. This is my last point. Kingdom perspective is realizing that kingdom work requires kingdom workers. If you aren't providing shelter and respite and relaxation to the wayfarers of this world, if you're not a part of the solution, you are part of the problem. The world does not need more of us to be angry and frustrated and hiding, and they need love, actual food and water and care. Our love and service providing shelter from the chaos of the world by extending God's grace that was so richly given to us to the captives as they escape bondage. That is what it means to be the church. We are both saved and being saved. Look at your neighbor and say, that's me. That's me. That's you. That's, that's everybody in this room. That's me. You are all both set free from captivity, but yet still awaiting that final eternal salvation where there's no more pain, no more suffering, that evil that's in the world. God says, I got that. That, 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 that the, the, the death that is going on around us, God says, I want to fix that. But he will only fix that when he returns for the second time and for the last time make all things new. We need to be light in these dark times for one another and more importantly for those that are lost. But I don't want to pretend or assume that just because you're here or even online that because you're here, that means you are in right relationship with Jesus. If you read the book of Revelation, that book scared the heck out of me, all right? Until I went from being afraid of how God is going to come back and, and there's going to be plagues and fire and, and death on a scale that we have not seen. Revelation is actually a story about hope. God's got a plan. You know, that's what the prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus. Even though we, they didn't understand what it meant, they, should, they were supposed to have comfort that Jesus had a plan. He had a fix. He was our fix. And when we read the book of Revelation, chaos, confusion, the evil that exists in this world, God is not, he doesn't sleep nor slumber. He is going to fix when you look at the imagery, he's coming back as a conquering king, not the, the, the lowly lamb the first time. He's coming back with a sword, 
with, with a robe soaked in the blood of his foes. He is coming in wrath. I love you. Do not find yourself on the wrong side of his wrath. It's coming. So with all heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to have an honest conversation.